Salutations, everybody. It is Maddie here, and only Maddie here, with episode 253 of the Ham Radio Podcast. <laughs> That's right. You're stuck in my world now. In all seriousness, the reason Carrick is not here is because within a half hour, one half hour of us recording our show, his sound card broke. I guess it's better happening before the show than during the show. That would have been a whole complex issue onto its own. But anyway, Carrick with another unfortunate technical issue and it has kept him out of this week's show. So go show him some love on Twitter or his YouTube channel, what have you. Because I'm sure he's in a sour mood. I certainly would be because he just spent like 2500 bucks fixing something else with his computer. I think it's time for Carrick to get a new computer. Anyway, for those of you who are new, welcome to the Ham Radio Podcast. This is a weekly gaming podcast where we round up the highlights each and every single week that happen across the games industry. And we kick back and talk about them. It's nothing major or complex. It's just a nice, chill gaming show. So I do hope you enjoy your stay here. If you're new, we seem to have a lot of new people rolling through the door, which is always good. Our podcast listener numbers are up. So I appreciate you guys giving us your attention during this very saturated time where everyone and their mother is starting up a podcast. But anyway, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for lending me your time. For those of you who are interested, we're also available on Patreon, patreon.com slash Mr. Maddie plays with the cut and CPM on YouTube. It's become more important than ever. I don't mean to beat people over the head with that. It's just a kind reminder because pay is lower than it was during the adpocalypse, at least for me and my situation. So a single dollar will net you early access for this podcast and you'll get the audio version available on Friday. The second I'm done recording this, I literally scrub it up a little bit in the editing software and then I shoot it right onto the Patreon. So it's available immediately once the show is done, usually within 20 minutes of the recording button being stopped. And so then you'll get, of course, the video version on Sundays. Uh, we can't do the video version for early access because by the time it would have rendered and been available for you guys and fully uploaded, it'll be deep into Friday night. And then all you'll have is Saturday. And at that point, that's not really worth your money. So yeah, that's how early access works. We have Patreon exclusive videos there as well. We just uploaded the studio tour. Uh, that's available to everyone, patron or not, because that was a, uh, a you know something that happened because everyone was involved, whether it was YouTube, Twitch, Patreon, donations, whatever. Uh, that's all because of you guys, lovers and haters even. You know, it's it's all because of your support. So that's available to everyone. I do hope you check it out and see what your investment in uh, this platform has, has brought to the table because there's a lot of great equipment there. There's a lot of good opportunities there. I have some really bright ideas I was airing out with my girlfriend that I think you guys will be really pleased with. Um, it's, it's time to kind of crawl out of the box a little bit, right? Because I am an RPG channel, but I have some very ambitious ideas that I think can catch fire, uh, if I do them just right. And so I'm going to go ahead and pursue them. And I don't want to say anything more than that. Um, but these are, these are very exciting series based ideas. I don't really have a series on my channel. And I think that's one of its Achilles heel. I really just float from topic to topic. So this is something I've been thinking about for a while and I'm like, okay, this is, I know something I can do and I can maintain and it will be exciting for my audience. I can promise you that. Don't worry. Work still does carry on with the pandemic documentary. I want to explain a quick delay on that because I don't want to act like I'm promising yet another series while not delivering on another. I have all the interviews recorded for that. One of the things I was truthfully waiting on is some design documents, some gameplay of unreleased titles. I felt this would have made the show a lot better. 
and it seems like what was initially promised to me is not going to come to fruition. So that's why I kept delaying and delaying it because I was like, you know what, this will be a lot better if this ends up being the case and they do deliver what was promised to me. Uh, I don't want to act like I'm complaining. I'm just saying that I, I feel like the the uh, documentary would be better, but there's a lot of incredible information in there. I don't want to sell that short by any stretch, but I just want to explain that while I'm talking about another series, I have not forgotten about another, and that's why that had been pushed back. It'll still be out sometime this year. I still have to get around to editing through like five, six, seven one hour interview. So it'll be a juicy video, but I'm really excited to get that going alongside uh, these other two video series I've had in mind for the last couple of days. And I've talked out with my girlfriend. So good things are coming. Um, it's not going to lose the professional feel on the channel, or I'm sorry, the laid back feel in exchange for full on professionalism. I'd like to say I have a good blend of the two. Anyway, enough about me. Thank you guys just for supporting me so much that I can chase these crazy ideas. And I do promise I will make it worth your while. All right. So we're going to take a little bit of a water break here. Usually I just like care, talk it up while I drink my water, but sadly you're going to have to hear me gulp it down every handful of minutes. All right. So what are we playing this week? This is another reason we needed Carrick, right? <laughs> the Maneater discussion was going to really help the aspect of me not having much to talk about. So I finished Persona 5 Royal last week and I'm in that state uh, where you know when you finish an incredible game you're like man that was so good and you try to go on to other games and you just can't I am in that that feeling right now I, I cannot move past Persona 5 Royal it was so good a top 10 game of all time for me we did a spoiler cast over on Sacred Symbols Plus if you're a uh, patron of Colin's Last Stand you guys can go give that a listen we'll also be doing a spoiler cast on my channel uh, within the next week so you can look forward to that it'll be with myself and a couple of my close friends who all like geek out over Persona so it'll be a really geeky podcast uh, but anyway there are options for you to hear my thoughts extensively on everything narratively that happened with Persona 5 Royal. But man, just what an incredible game. And like I said, I'm just in that part where I'm I'm struggling to move on from it. Uh, I, I started up a new game plus playthrough. I've just been, you know, tapping through it every now and then because it, it is such an investment. It is a 150 hour game on average that, um, you know, do I really want to go through that again? It's a little bit quicker now because your confidant ranks will carry over. So you can take Ryuji's rank seven and you can sprint through enemies and, and destroy them right away. Uh, so really all it would do would just be me re-experiencing the story, which I love. Um, and I might do that, but I don't know if I'll do it to completion. Honestly, I have a save file intentionally at the beginning of the third semester where um, I might just load that up and, and tap through that instead because that's the part of the game where I was like, oh my God. Uh, but anyway, enough fanboying about that. Really haven't played anything else outside of Persona 5 Royal. I fired up Trails of Cold Steel again, as promised. I said I wanted to finish Persona 5 and then leap into that. Um, and it's not like I like the game any less. I really do have a, uh, a love for this series. It seems like it's really special and unique. Um, and I do want to keep going, but it's just that I think it's too close to Persona 5 Royal where it may get muddied. So I have hopped into League of Legends. This is going to sound really weird, but I don't play it a ton right now. I took a little break because I was playing Persona 5 Royal, but obviously I edit a lot of videos. So for me, going from clicking around a ton on my computer and doing video editing to clicking around a ton in a video game, like my forearm literally starts to get incredibly sore. My shoulder tightens up. So 
for me, I, I would just like to stay away from league as much as humanly possible. I, I just, as much as I like it and I want to keep playing because my friends play it, um, it ends up actually physically hurting me. And I sound soft as shit and I totally understand that, <laughs> but I, I'm being totally honest when I say uh, it, it actually physically hurts me. So uh, league has been a game I've bounced to. Trails of Cold Steel, I started up some of the Persona dancing games. I, I did Persona 3 and Persona 5 dancing, and I got to say I'm so disappointed in both of them. Uh, they really dropped the ball on each of these games. Persona 4 Dancing All Night came out exclusively on the PS Vita, and it was a great game. It had an actual legitimately good story. It was about 10 hours long, but it was it was well thought out. It was playing right just in the right way into the Persona 4 universe. Like It had that you know, oh God, this is kind of creepy, but okay, this is like, look how happy the friends are together. Um, the investigation team, I should say, rather. Um, it had that feel to it, but then it had like a free play and tons of unlocks and secret songs. It was just like a well thought out game and totally is the best rhythm game I've ever played. But when you look at, I don't say that because it's Persona, by the way. So I, I want everyone who thinks I'm saying it because it's Persona to shut the hell up. I haven't played Theater Rhythm yet though, which is a Final Fantasy game. But uh, when it comes to Persona 3 and 5 dancing, these games are just like fan servicey in the sense of, oh, we don't have a story, but we have songs you can dance to. And then there's a, quote, social mode, end quote, where you go there and you fucking talk to people in the game. But they always emphasize when you wake up, you won't remember any of this. So I'm like, why the fuck do I even care? Why am I going to waste my time playing this shit? So for me, I'm probably dropping both those games. I'm so, so happy I remained patient on them because they were like, I think $90 together originally, and you could buy them for 60 bucks each. I was like, hell no. I'm sorry. I like Persona a lot, but hell no, I'm good. And I waited till Persona 3 was 15 bucks and Persona 5 was 20 and I got both of them. And I'm going to be honest, I still regret spending my money on them because I'm not going to play them that much. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much uh, what I've been playing. We're going to go ahead and just jot down some timestamps here on my computer because I don't have to have a webcam up so I can actually make full use of the computer. Let's get into the news, starting off with Ghost of Tsushima. It is Sucker Punch's biggest game. Some may be wondering when I wasn't that impressed with what I saw with the gameplay, which I have a full video on, so if anyone has any questions, you can go ahead and check that out. Long story short, I felt it was very good looking, but it was very familiar, and that's not something I'm used to with Sucker Punch games who have created the likes of Sly Cooper, infamous games that are you know can you really name any games that are like either of those i think you could say persona has a little bit of sly cooper in it but like ever so slightly when you're in uh we'll say the sixth palace i don't want to drop any games anyway uh ghost of tsushima is sucker punch's biggest game ever we're going to be hopping between two articles because in the middle of this article i was reading i found out another very interesting piece of information about this game that i didn't expect so it doesn't make me sad about the game it's just an interesting talking point to have so Let's read. IGN's article says, It's a lot bigger than Infamous Second Son. It's definitely Sucker Punch's biggest game we've ever had by a landslide, both in the amount of stuff that's in it and also just sheer landscape square footage-wise. Connell, who was uh, the art director and creative director of Ghost of Tsushima, said to IGN, um, and they also mentioned a move away from a karma meter. So before we continue on with this article... I wanted to go and talk about the karma meter. So for those who don't know, 
Infamous had a morality meter, a karma system, if you will. And you could have like a good ending, a bad ending. So for example, Delson, who was in uh, Infamous Second Son, like there's a point in the game where you can choke someone to death with his chains or like you can help save them. Like it can get either that dark or that, oh, he's a benevolent person. Wow, how great. It's always been a star of that series. I never really thought how great that would fit for a samurai game, right? Like, do you follow the way of the samurai in honor or do you take a path of dishonor but anyway here's what sucker punch had to say about moving away from a infamous like karma meter this is still on ign.com we thought about a morality meter because we had the karma system in infamous second son but we realized it was more important to us that we wanted to tell a human story of someone who is this way that this way is in italics and has to evolve into something else versus transform completely into something else now We'll pause for a second. I guess what they're trying to say here is he is one way. Maybe he's not of the samurai. He Maybe he is like dishonorable and he shifts into something else or vice versa. Not sure. He doesn't flip flock back and forth. It is muddy. It muddied it up for us. We really wanted to tell the story to reflect his transformation. So what they mean here is an infamous second son or two or one. Um, you can make a good choice or an evil choice at any point in the story. So it's not like if you keep making evil choices, that means at the end of the game, you have to make like an evil choice. As far as I recall, uh, you can just make a good choice at that point, but you'll still get like the evil ending um, or something along those lines. Point being is that they didn't want us going back and forth where he decides to de decapitate one person, but then not the other. I don't see the issue with that personally, because when you just put the choice in the player's hands, maybe they even want to walk a neutral ground. I don't see a really big issue with this. I, in fact, I think it fits the universe better than it would fit Infamous, but that's just my take. I'm sure some people will think I'm I'm hating on it again. <laughs> a lot of people were really upset that I wasn't like flipping out of my chair over this game, uh, which, you know, I, I still stand by what I say. I really think it, it will be a good game, but I, which I mentioned in my video. Uh, I think people just like to ignore that part. I think it'll be a good game. I just don't think it'll be bringing anything super new to the table. Anyway, let's flip back to our original IGN article where they're talking about Sucker Punch's biggest game ever being Ghost of Tsushima. Now they're talking about scale and size and how they determine that per player. Uh, Connell explained that the team often gets asked about Ghost of Tsushima's size in terms of length of completing the game, though he noted it's hard to pinpoint because, quote, completing, end quote, can mean various things for people with open world games. Some people just play the story and others want to find everything. The studio recognized this and worked to, quote, create a world big enough that has both those opportunities. People can just play the story and people that can go get lost in the environment, end quote. Now, um, I'm, I don't want people to think, once again, I'm just complaining for the sake of complaining, but this is where you have to trust your consumer's intelligence and put out two data points, right? Like, you can say it takes, in the same statement, it takes 20 hours to finish, finish Ghost of Tsushima's playthrough on average, and it takes 40 hours to explore everything in the open world. I think that that doesn't muddy up what the game is, right? Like that, you can tell people who, you just categorize two groups of people, right? You categorize people who just want to play the story and you categorize people who just want to get lost in the environment. So you can give a, a point of data for both those people in one statement. I don't see why they avoided that other than they just didn't want to share the information quite yet because they did proceed to, you know, 
chest puff a little bit as we see a lot in PR statements of, you know, it's big enough to get lost in and all that stuff, which is great. And I have no doubt about it. I mean, the world looks, oh my God, fantastic. So I'm looking forward to exploring it at the very least. We learned a ton and we've built tech on tech on tech and we have amazing technical rendering gurus at Sucker Punch. They've managed to pull out every little ounce of performance so that we could have our dreams of making this game. So they're very passionate about it, which is encouraging from my perspective because I know some people are in my camp and they're not like huge fans of Ghost of Tsushima. I think there is stuff here to like about it and I think their their passion and their energy behind it is is at least noticeable. Uh, you can see pretty far in the game as we show off, which absolutely is true. The draw distance is insane. And that's some, not some fabricated thing with hacks. You can get, you can just get down from that mountain and go to those places. Uh, this will really resonate to people with people, sorry, who like Skyrim. Um, Skyrim is one of those, like, you see it, you can go there type of games. The Witcher, you see it, you can go there. Uh, the greatest open world games allow you to see a place and then go there. It's that feeling of freedom, like you're actually in a living, breathing place. Breath of the Wild as well, a, a fantastic example there. Uh, it's stunning what they've been able to pull off for us from a technical perspective. He continued noting the combined work of many different teams within the studio coming together to produce Tsushima. Uh, that work has gone into producing the ambitious island of Tsushima, inspired by the real-life location, though set hundreds of years ago. Connell explains... I'm sorry, I, I flipped him back and forth on how you pronounce his name. Connell, Connell, I'm going to say Connell. Explained that while the team sought to honor and respect the real-life setting, the in-game landmass is pretty much geographically the same shape as the real-world world Tsushima. It's not meant to be a one-to-one -one recreation, especially given the settings, period, which is smart. It's a video game, and if you got to sacrifice certain locations that may not be exactly to the T what we see in real life uh, so that you can make more fun opportunities for the player, totally fine with me. When it comes to some of the biomes and places that you go to, it's so long ago, there's not much, uh, there's not a perfect map of forestry of what was there, Connell says, noting that Sucker Punch's similar approach with Second Son to capture the essence of Seattle without necessarily recreating it building by building. So this doesn't hurt the game by any stretch, but when he mentioned how they used a similar approach to world creation with Second Son, I felt like Seattle was very, very clearly at its time and it still does look beautiful um, when you fire it up. This was a 2014 game. It was one of the first games on the PS4 that we all fired up. And we're like, wow, this is this is pretty next gen, right? Um, it, you know, I wasn't over the moon about it. I, I Just because of the characters, not because of the game. The game was fun to play. Um, but I just I was more invested in, in Cole than, than Delson. Um, but that's just me. I know everyone's got their preferences. Uh, but when it comes to creating the world... Um, I, I like the idea of biomes. I guess it's easier to do it in, in a, a world like Tsushima where it's it's very like based in nature, if you will. <laughs> uh, whereas a, a city, uh, biomes are a little harder to distinguish, especially when they're trying to make it as, uh, um, as close to what the real world version is. So we'll see. I have no doubts that it goes to Tsushima. Will look beautiful. Uh, hopefully it's fun. I'm very interested to see uh, how I feel about the game when I put my hands on it, but I, I am looking forward to seeing what Sucker Punch throws together here. And now let's move on to Wasteland 3. I'm going to have a full video about this breaking it down frame by frame, but this was just too juicy for my audience to really pass up. So Wasteland 3 got a 
developer diary. Uh, it's the first one. I found it on Game Informer when I was researching for some interesting topics for you guys for the show. And this one really stood out. I had some people on my stream telling me about it, saying you got to check it out. And I had admittedly procrastinated a little bit. <laughs> but here we are. Uh, we're going to go over sort of what everything he has said, but not as in-depth as a video can really offer. The reason I'm saving it for the videos because, you know, I want to like freeze frame all of the perks and and uh, quirks that he shows off. And I think that's only serviceable in video as opposed to audio. All right. So these are just brief write-ups of what we got so far from this dev diary. There are quirks in the game which give you powerful bonuses, but also powerful penalties. So think of it like the flaws inside of uh, the Outer Worlds. They give an example of a pyromaniac where he'll have or she'll have bonus elemental damage, but then every, sorry, I hit my desk, <laughs> but every single time you do, for example, we'll say throw a grenade, uh, you risk bursting into flames. So your character will gladly do that, but it's for the name of bonus elemental damage. They pledge that there will be an informative character creator that clearly describes what each attribute will do for your character now and later in the game so that you don't get, say, 30 hours deep and regret the choices you've made. They say that that's one of the worst feelings in a game and they've gone to extreme lengths to avoid that. The fact that they even mentioned it in a developer diary was a little surprising to me, so I'm willing to bite on that and say that that very much will be the case. They added, to my surprise, what is this game anyway? You're going to hear some wacky things here, and we'll get into that in a little bit. A combo meter. Uh, this allows you to gain crit hit chance slash damage per attack landed as a brawler. And now they also say that if you stack it with intelligence, you'll do more damage with those crit hits. And then you can have this one attack where your character literally like ground pounds and a ton of electricity spreads from from out of their their where their fist lands and it just eviscerates everything around them it's an insane aoe attack but it, it they said that this play style is going to feel like you made the wrong choice in the beginning of the game but it gets really good later on so when i saw it i thought to myself you know what i gotta build absolutely as a brawler because it looked it looked really fun when it got good it probably won't be that good early on but it looked extremely fun and i think that'd be good because they emphasized this next Party diversity, uh, mostly due to the lack of ammunition in the Wasteland universe. They mentioned how ammo in a lot of games nowadays is easy to come by, and I agree with that, and that in Wasteland, if you have a certain gun that uses a certain type of ammo, it's not just transferable to another. Like, everyone has their own specific ammo type, so you don't want to have two people sharing the same weapon family because they're draining each other's resources. So if someone's using 308 ammo and your other character's using 308 ammo, let's say you get to one of your character's turns and they just took a, the other person using 308, just uh, drained the rest of your ammo, that other person's now screwed too. So now you've, you're out two party members who can't do much. So you want to diversify your party so they have more options. And that's where they started also mentioning about melee weapons, using the brawler, that type of stuff, which I got to say, big fan of the brawler once more. All right, character duos are also in the game. This allows you to pick ready-to-rock character groups in the start of the game that are packed with their quirks, traits, unique banter, and so on. Uh, this allows new players to really just dive right in, they said, so you don't have to, like, mess with the character creator. You can just get the game started. And they mentioned, like, a father and a kid, and, and like, the father just grunts, and so, like, the kid translates for him. So if that's the type of unique banter that's being brought to the table, I'm looking forward to that. As you'll note here, there's 
a very substantial impact on the investment for Microsoft. Like I know the voice work for sure they said was already something they couldn't have done without Microsoft. And so you're really seeing uh, the, 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 the consequences, the, if that's even, I don't even think that has a positive connotation, but you're seeing the, the outcome we'll say of Microsoft buying in exile. Uh, the money they've come into has helped make wasteland three, a much more attractive game. In my opinion, lots more options, uh, lots more diversity, crazy play styles. It looks fantastic. Continuing on turns are bunched together now instead of the old initiative system. So this was actually, if I, I don't recall as well, because this was back in February, but I don't know if I covered this in my video where I played Wasteland 3. But yes, uh, you, you have them in bunches now. So what happens is the enemies move all at once. It's not like you, you hone in on one enemy and they move to whatever spot and then they shift to the next enemy and they'll take a shot at one of your players. That's not how it works. They all do it at once so it instantly gives you control back. This is probably the biggest of them all because it, it allows you to get control as a player immediately. Something that doesn't happen too often in turn-taking games. I can even say this about like Persona 5, right? Like you guys have heard me raving about it so I feel like this is a good example where it feels good to be in the driver's seat of that game where you're doing baton passes and you're controlling your team and, and you're on the offensive. But even if you're going back and forth where Joker will go and then an enemy will go and then Ryuji will go and then an enemy will go and then an enemy will go and then and then Makoto will go. And, and it's like, oh man, you know, I, I really, I want control. Like even in those just brief moments, you just, you anticipate that control. So the way they've sped things up, I really like. Um... Only thing that stinks, I think, is that this is a system that really inherently puts you on your heels. So enemies acting in bunches, you don't have that moment-to-moment -moment digestion like an XCOM game where like one character will get shot and you'll go, oh my god, he's got five health. And then another character will move up and you'll see he's got a 70% chance of hitting him and you'll lean a little bit closer and be like, please miss. There's not going to be that. There's not going to be that. It's just going to all happen at once. So uh, it's going to be a lot of data to take in at once. Um, they showed an example in the clip, and it just it's bang, happens. So uh, that can be a little bit of taking getting used to. Anyway, they also say that there's a garage that allows you to customize your Kodiak, which is the big snowmobile, if you will. Uh, not just with cosmetics, but also different weaponry, such as a goat cannon. This is what I mean. Um, just weird, wacky things like this that, I don't know, man. Maybe I just... Maybe I just haven't played Wasteland 2 in so long, but I remember it being a lot more serious in some ways. Like, I don't remember having goat cannons and, and ridiculous things like this. A, a brawler who can ground pound and, and literally nuke the field. Like, that type of stuff is wild. Uh, but the game looks fantastic. It absolutely upped my hype for it. If you're a Fallout fan, give this game a look. I don't think you'll regret it. I think you'll be very pleased with what you see from in exile um they also mentioned that they will be using unreal engine 5 for their next game this also came out in an update on twitter uh from brian fargo so that's another interesting piece of news we covered earlier on the channel and as well as last week's podcast about how the unreal engine 5 gameplay looks fantastic in just very subtle ways we talked about animation work lighting especially um using film assets to to drop in game and, and save the artist's time. Uh, the lack of loading screens, of course, is very important. Um, it just looks good. You know, that that's just a given. So to know that 
uh, Brian Fargo and his team at InXile has shifted onto this engine is great news. Um, it makes me very curious. It's like, wait, they are they're working on something else already. It makes sense. The game was supposed to launch this month. It got pushed back to August. So do look forward to this uh, this game having more continuous coverage on the channel. Uh, definitely fills the void for Fallout. I really thought that Wastelanders would uh, be a good springboard for Bethesda, but it seems that even though it was so good, that game clearly has a, a just a bad, understandably, a bad label attached to it. Uh, I'll still be messing around with it, but I was very surprised that Wastelanders wasn't the huge resurgence that I think Bethesda and many others expected. It definitely put it on the map in a more positive light, and people are more open to it now, and I don't think it's as dunkable, if you will. I think Bethesda is still dunkable, but uh, I don't think 76 is in that light now because they made such a drastic change to their game and that's been received so positively. But if you're still looking for that substitute for uh, Fallout, Wasteland is the ideal series, of course. Uh, Wasteland gave birth to Fallout, so there's that worth keeping in mind. There is a connection here, which I think a lot of people are aware of. But yeah, as I said many times already, really looking forward to seeing what Wasteland has to hold for us. I will be doing a full breakdown on the channel that I, I do hope you guys enjoy and look forward to. All right. Last bit of news, and this may sound like a short show, but I promise you it won't be because we have patron questions after this. We are going to be talking about the new Call of Duty. Yeah, so you guys know me. I'm not like the biggest COD fan. I just dabble in these games, um, but I don't really track them. I just wait for them to be revealed. Oh, it's this. Okay, cool. Because, you know, I kind of expect it to be the same. Um, I know a lot of people have positive things to say about Warzone. Um, I have yet to give that a try. Just because I think that's Battle Royale. I just, I haven't paid attention to it just because I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. Uh, but when I saw this rumored Call of Duty title, you bet your butt it caught my attention. I'll explain why. All right. Information comes from Game Informer. Multiple sources are reporting that this year's Call of Duty title from developer Treyarch is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. The talk surfaced recently when Okami posted a mock-up of the title leak on Twitter, followed by Eurogamer citing its own multiple sources corroborating the news. Earlier this year, Kotaku mentioned the Cold World Cold War, sorry, setting as well as revealing that the game would include a single player campaign you hear that a single player campaign which was absent from 2018's black ops 4 though it also returned in last year's call of duty modern warfare kotaku also reported that treyarch would be the lead developer of this year's cod with activision subsidiaries raven and sledgehammer in support there is further support for the cold war rumors from data miners who have found cold war era equipment including a spy plane in locked bunkers in call of duty warzone so i guess they plan on just carrying warzone into each of the call of duty games wow that that's a huge discovery there man can we just talk for a sec before we get into anything call of duty related how much i feel bad for ravensoft uh, one of that they just mentioned the Activision subsidiaries who was helping support development. Do you guys remember the last full game they did? I don't think they worked on Call of Duty at all. Uh, and if they did, it might have been just one Call of Duty. But they did Singularity, a excellent choice-based first-person shooter. About 10 hours long, it was last generation 360 PS3 game. And guys, gals, I cannot recommend this one enough. Uh, if you like resistance, if you like choices in your shooters, you like a really gritty universe, I mean, what a underrated game. 
superb. Really recommended it. Um, also based in like a alternate history setting. So that may click for a lot of people. Give it a look. And it makes me feel so bad that this company's just been stuffed into making Call of Duty games year in, year out as support studios, not even like realizing a creative vision, just saying, hey, we're making this. Oh, we are? Okay, sounds good, guys. Um, so yeah, I feel bad for them, man. I, I feel like they deserve to be let loose to, to make something on their own. I know Sledgehammer has. I think they did Call of Duty World War or World, what was it called? Call of Duty World War II? Man, it's there's so freaking many. And they name them so closely, like World at War. And I think World War II was the right answer. And that game was not bad, by the way. Sledgehammer, I wouldn't mind them making another boots on the ground Call of Duty. Okay, so yeah, as a person who loves Call of Duty Black Ops 1, I am all about a Black Ops Cold War game. Um, in fact, it just if, if someone told me, oh, this is just Black Ops 1 remastered, I believe you. Because Black Ops is, the first one's just based in the Cold War. That was like one of the major grabs about it. I remember when that game was, I was my, I think a sophomore in high school. That was like 2010, right? Um, or 2009. Dude, I remember that being like the biggest hype in high school. That that Call of Duty was going to a new era in war that, that really hadn't been touched and wanted to you know, dive into some of the more like underground things happening. Uh, so to me, I'm happy to go back there for nostalgia purposes. But also, uh, this was easily... A top Call of Duty game for me. Top three. When it came to competitive play, I've dabbled in telling you guys a little bit about this. Uh, this was my peak, though. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops 1 was where I really dialed in my competitive play. It was the only game I played. I played day in, day out. Uh, so much so that I I truly believe I, I, I could have been like a, a competitive player. It probably would have benefited my career <laughs> in the terms of like income, but I'm much happier where I am now. But yeah, I definitely played a ton of Black Ops One. I think I was ranked like in the in like below 500 MLG rank on on Game Battles website when it was like at its peak. Like that's that era of Call of Duty is where Game Battles was relevant. Game Battles tournaments were relevant. Rank was relevant there. This was before MLG and. Uh, and like all these these tourneys where you actually go to stadiums were very popular. Esports was not at its peak. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I used to grind this game. We had a very good team. So this brings back some good memories. Um, my friends and I were joking saying like, oh, Matt's back. You know, here we go. <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't know, man. I don't it's not that I don't have an attention span for it. But the idea of endlessly grinding one specific game for like eight hours a day like I did back then. Uh, it just makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, I remember when I started up this channel, um, I made an announcement on my old uh, channel saying, you know, I want to do, like, I think I did so much Call of Duty videos that I, I made a video saying <clears throat> that like, here's my single player video game series. Like that's how much Call of Duty was embedded in my channel. <laughs> I would just say like, here's Sly Cooper. Uh, ridiculous, man. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy that the Cold War Call of Duty games are coming back. I do hope to see more. I'm sure it won't be much longer until we do. Um, but for now, we only have rumors to roll off of, and I look forward to seeing whatever Treyarch's doing. They are, in my opinion, the best Call of Duty developers. I don't really... I just I just don't enjoy what Infinity Ward does uh, each each day or each day. Jesus, I was thinking about something completely different. I ha I have the the time up for Audacity, 
but then in the background I can see like all my files and so I was just looking at this wall of of different video clips and 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 recordings I had and one of them had like day in it and I just if <laughs> you guys ever had that like that slip where you're looking at something and then you just say it out loud and you're like that didn't make sense at all um but anyway enough about that I'm rambling let's go ahead and move into the patron questions we have a absolute shit ton this week so thank you to the patrons for providing here all right let's begin uh, for the third week in a row with holzer 19 what older gaming franchise do you feel has done the best job of modernizing and keeping up with the times so normally i don't preview the patron questions but i saw this one well ahead of time and i haven't seen any of the others so i'm excited now but uh man it's hard to say because it depends if you're talking about like player reception versus like how many sales there were because you could argue fallout would be like one of the better modernized titles because not fallout 76 but like fallout 4 absolutely modernized and they cashed in on modernizing completely if they tried to make it like fallout 3 i don't think the game would have done nearly as well but i i think like borderlands is one borderlands did admittedly from what i know maintain that like we're not doing microtransactions we're staying what you know about borderlands like here's the full game here's the loot grind uh, and then here's like campaign DLCs afterwards. So I got to say, I feel like they've done a really good job of sticking to their guns. Um, sometimes it's not about adapting. It's about just knowing what works for your audience. And so I feel like Borderlands is one. I have to say it again, Persona. If you look at Persona 3 and 4, for those of you who've played the games, you know what I'm talking about. And then you look at 5, 5 would not have succeeded nearly as much as it had if they did not make substantial gameplay changes to the dungeon design, to how turn-based combat works. There's just a lot of huge quality of life improvements and just overall game changes for strategy games, tactical games, whatever you want to call them, turn-based strategy games. I don't care. They changed the game, man. So I would say Persona is, is definitely on that list too. Because you, you can also say like, oh, Call of Duty's done a good job modernizing. They did a free-to-play Battle Royale title. And and you wouldn't be really wrong. So I guess it depends how you define it versus fun and success. Uh, you know, all these games I've mentioned have had success on both ends of the spectrum, I'd say. All right, TaylorMade has written in. Firstly, I want to say thanks, Maddie, for letting me interview you for one of my college courses. Got an A, by the way. Nicely done. I have two questions for you guys. Yeah, thank you for interviewing me. I love answering questions like that and trying to offer any type of help so you know I, I always make it pretty clear to my patrons that i am always available for messaging more along the lines of like you know if you have like a need or something i can help with uh i'm, I'm there for you anyway the question that taylor made had wrote in was have you guys ever tried oh man oh boy have you guys ever tried anchovies on pizza? The sound of a little salty fish on pizza sounds disgusting, but it's a delicious delicacy that's nice to have every half a year or so. Okay, so let's talk, Taylor. All right, we're, we're, we're pals, I'd say. Um, you're out of your fucking mind, right? Because you're you're saying it's it sounds disgusting, but it's a delicious delicacy. Delicious delicacies don't come every half a year, right? Like, my mom makes some of the most fire lasagna of all time. Homemade lasagna. It's incredible, right? But because it's so good, if I'm honest with you guys, I ask her sometimes to make it for me more than once every half a year. We have it multiple times a year. Go figure. So I'm going to be honest with you, Taylor. I think you're fucking tricking yourself into liking this. And, and you just won't accept that it's not very good. I've never had it. I have no plans of having it. All right. Question two. 
What's a game that you initially felt, uh, what game did you initially love and after a while started to give you a bitter feeling? Mine is Fallout 4. I still love the game, but I was so head over heels for it when it came out that I overlooked games like The Witcher 3. I slowly started realizing that the game was less of an RPG, taking away skill, skill checks and well-written dialogue trees, along with a ton of other complaints that bug me every time I try to play it. This is a good question. I think all of us are guilty of having like a game that uh, you look back on and you go, I don't like you as much as I once did. Uh, for me, for me, I would say at times, and this is going to sound crazy, but at times The Witcher 3, because um, we it's so in the conversation. For a game from 2015, it is absolutely always in the conversation to this day that you'd think it would come out like last year and technically it did with the switch version but you guys get what i'm saying um that when i go back and play it you see a lot of tropes that games have copied from it so ultimately it's a very familiar the witcher 3 experience it's impressive that they came up with a lot of things that have guided our industry that's why it's such a substantial amazing game but I, i'm just waiting for cyberpunk i wanted to go play the witcher 3 to sort of prepare my cd project red bones for cyberpunk but I just said, you know what? I'm not going to play The Witcher 3 because it's it's very familiar in a lot of ways. The storytelling is superb. It's it's a fucking amazing game. I still recommend it to everybody. But for me, I wouldn't even say it's a sour taste. It just doesn't sit with me as well because it is aging a little bit. And I don't like the combat as much. It's not the best. That's just my take, though. Um, I think more relevant is, yeah, Fallout 4. Fallout 4 is one that you just look at and you think of, oh, man, I love this so much. And... Now I really don't um, as much, right? It's it's because you loved it. Like you're like me. I was at like the top of the mountain screaming about how great Fallout 4 was, and then you just go down the mountain a little bit and you go, it's good, it's good. But it's such a drastic change from where you once were. Um, I don't know if I ever felt bitter about it. It's an interesting question because there are many games that have changed for the worse, but it's usually like a franchise that I go like Fallout as a franchise. I look at and go like it gets me bitter. But not Fallout 4 specifically. Like Fallout as a franchise. When I play 3, when I play New Vegas and I go, oh my god, 2 even. I love Fallout 2. And go, wow, these games are great. And then you look at 76, you're like, like even after Wastelanders, I go like, what the fuck? Like what, like why, how the, why does everything we have to love just die like that? Um, yeah, so The Witcher is an interesting conversation to have. Because like I said, it's not really bitter, it's just age. But it's definitely not like the hardcore love. Um, but it's still one of the best RPGs made. You can recognize that while not like grinding through the game a profuse amount of times. Butterball8 writes in, With the release of Maneater coming soon, what games about animals would you want to play in a video game setting? Oh man, yeah. So Maneater, for those who don't know, is a shark RPG. And uh, that's why I was dying to ask Carrick about it. He was hyped for this one for a while. Uh, I would love to play the game of like being a dog. And just living his day-to-day -day life. Dog simulator. That would be interesting. You know, you eat, you drink, you play. You can get in trouble. Maybe you get put in your cage for a little bit so you sleep. Um, what's dog simulator like? I would be curious to find out. Next comes in from Skooma Vendor. Was reading this article the other day. It's a few weeks old but seemed to fly under the radar. ZeniMax Online are working on a new IP. As someone who massively enjoys ESO, this is especially exciting. Any idea what this could be? So I brought the article up. We're going to read through it together. This comes from GameSpot. The article is titled, The Elder Scrolls Online Developer Hires Star Wars Mass Effect Veteran for its New IP. All right. 
Uh, let's see here. In 2018, it was revealed that Elder Scrolls Online developer ZeniMax Online Studios was working on a new IP. The game remains unannounced, but now the studio has hired big industry names to work on the title. Colin Campbell, who previously worked on Star Wars Battlefront 2, Jedi Fallen Order, Mass Effect Andromeda, and Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, has joined ZeniMax Online Studios as a lead level designer for the studio's unannounced IP. The game's creative director, Ben Jones, welcomed Campbell to the team in a tweet where he also stated that Campbell will have a major impact on the new game. According to Campbell's LinkedIn page, his first game development credit was as a lead world designer on Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, the role-playing game from Boston Red Sox pitcher Kurt Schilling, 38 Studios. That's still a funny sentence to me. After the developer went belly up, Campbell joined Epic Games Maryland, where he served as senior level designer on Infinity Blade Dungeons. He then moved to Bioware, where he worked as lead level designer on Mass Effect Andromeda. His next job was also with EA, as he was... Um, with the he was the lead narrative designer on Star Wars Battlefront 2 eh, and a producer for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. All right. Zenimax Online Studios currently has more than 30 open positions posted on its careers site, which may indicate the studio is ramping up development of the new IP. In addition to the new IP, Zenimax Online Studios continues to work on The Elder Scrolls Online, which was originally released in 2014. The developers have plans to support the MMO through 2020 and beyond, and that does not surprise me at all because that game probably makes Bethesda an absolute shit ton of money. Uh, it's a successful game, and it's a good game at that. Yeah, so I find the idea of them working on new IP very intriguing. Um, one On one end, it's concerning because ZeniMax Online Studios, they didn't launch Elder Scrolls Online in the best shape, but they did what Bethesda Game Studios Austin has yet to be able to do, and that's sh with 76, I mean. And that's shape up the product to be very good. Elder Scrolls Online is a great game. Tamriel, Unlimited, and Onward. I haven't played it in about a couple of years now. But what I have played of it, you guys have seen, I've made a ton of videos just raving about the game. I really, really enjoyed Elder Scrolls Online and what it had to offer. Uh, just as a, a fun way to explore the Elder Scrolls universe with a friend. Like, that's all I really was looking for, and it gave me more than that. I really liked the expansions that were there. Uh, even if I wasn't, like, a huge fan of Morrowind, which I felt towed the line of nostalgia more than trying to be inventive with the period of time it was in, uh, I still really liked what they brought to the table. Somerset Isle was great. Um, I loved the Golden Coast where they added the ability to assassinate people. If they were like a lower level than you, you could press X and it would give the most gory animation. I really like that about the game. So yeah, the idea of them working on a new IP has me intrigued, but I want to see what they've learned from the launch of ESO because they've really been riding this success with Elder Scrolls Online. And is it because it's Elder Scrolls or is it because... It's actually the work of the team. It's a combination of both from my perspective, but we'll see how they handle a brand new IP. This means, by the way, for those who are wondering, they're not going to be doing another Elder Scrolls Online type game. They're not going to be doing another Fallout Online game. They are doing something brand new, which, which I think is good. All right. Harris writes in, firstly, obligated reminder to stay hydrated. Good call. Give me one second. Thank you, Harris. All right. Secondly, are you more excited for Hellblade 2 or Fable 4? Asking this because they are both expected to release in 2021. Absolutely 1,000% Fable 4. No fucking doubt in my mind. Uh, just based off what I've heard about Fable 4, it sounds a lot more intriguing. Hellblade, the original, 
uh, was great. I thought it was a great one-off experience. I don't know where they're going to go with the sequel, but I really like the focus on mental health with the original Hellblade. Um, I thought it shined a great light for uh, a movement in our industry. Um, and they did a bunch of like charity. So I really admire what Hellblade had accomplished. I don't know what you do with a bigger Hellblade 2. It just, I can't imagine that game style in an open world setting with like its type of combat. Obviously, a lot of things are going to change. It's being made on a AAA budget, budget, <laughs> budget, uh, budget, but. Yeah, I, I just hold way more excitement for Fable 4 because it's more of a Maddie game. Let's be honest. It's it's said to be a first slash third person open world RPG with like choices and there's some town building elements, some sim elements, um, a lot of customization there. It just it sounds more like my type of game. Um, and I know I'm running off of assumptions on both ends, but I just I've anticipated Fable 4 for way too long now to just say, oh, I don't like it as much. No, I, I have to I have to ride out the hype here and, and hope that Fable 4 is indeed more exciting to me than Hellblade 2. <clears throat> All right. National Calamity writes in with three questions. Number one, if Summer of Games and other streaming shows do well, do you think companies will move towards showing their trailers and gameplay online full-time instead of relying on expos? I still think... A couple of things. Number one, it doesn't hurt as much as I think people indicate to go to something like E3 or PAX and let consumers, you know, not like people like me, who I'm still a consumer, but I'm saying people like me who have the ability to maybe get these games early and stuff, who, who sometimes don't have to worry about paying for the game, but the people who actually fill their wallet. I don't think it's the worst fucking thing in the world to let the company pull out a pocket a little bit and spend to have a place where people can get online and play their game a little early and, and feel confident with their purchase, right? Nothing tells you more than A, a bunch of reviews from people that sort of assimilate to one score or one one uh, ju jurisdiction, if you will, that like, hey, buy this, hey, don't buy this. Or you putting your hands on it and seeing if you like it. That's why game demos are great. If they start taking the path of game demos and saying, no, no more expos, um, then, then yeah, maybe you'll see this start to shift into full-time more. But I think companies have to worry about demos being hacked and uh, maybe leading to a full game leaking. Like, how do you do that? I feel like that could blow up in a company's face. So, yeah, man, I really feel like... I understand the need for a digital push, and I think every company would benefit from having their own version of Nintendo Direct, um, but I still think that expos are beneficial to not only me, like, you know, shaking hands, face-to-face -face meetups with people in the company. I'm telling you right now, me me shooting an email to a company versus, like, anyone else, like, there's it's just equal chance, which is good and bad. Like, uh, it's better if they know you, they have your face in their head. It just... it. It plays out that way. Question two, after the demonetization, which we're not going to say this word, <laughs> do you think companies will make it easier for workers to work remotely? Also, do you think companies would have people working more often remotely after demonetized than working in person? Yeah, I think since this is going to be around for a while, companies are going to have to adapt and find out how to work remotely. And I think what this will lead to is... Maybe an option for people where they say, hey, I don't feel well, but I know I can work today. Uh, can I work from home? Because we've, we're now proving that these companies can have people working remotely. And I think that's great, man. Like, I'm not a parent, but like you can 
definitely say for, for people raising kids, it's great to be home and around your kids and being able to work your schedule and mend it in whatever way you see fit. As someone who does that with their schedule, like I can, I can bend it to my will. I try to keep a steady schedule, but if I go, I usually get up around like 10, 30, 11, I walk out of my room, I have my food, um, and then I get to work. But there are some days where like, hey, tomorrow my mom needs me up a little bit earlier than that. I'm going to move some furniture over at my grandma's house because we're helping getting ready that getting ready for that house to sell. And so, um, you know, like I, I might have to push my work back to one, you know, and, and to have that flexibility for most people. I really hope that they have those types of options. So I think it's possible now that we've shown we can work remotely. And I think because people can work remotely and show they can get the job done while being in their house that, you know, maybe it'll allow for a little more hour flexibility um, because you're not clocking and clocking out, but then you have to have a digital clocking and clocking out kind of service. And I, as someone who has not really worked like a job like that, I don't know exactly how that would work. Question three from Natural Calamity. If Sony and Microsoft are waiting for each other to pull the first punch with next gen and no one does, do you see it delaying the release of either one of these platforms or both the consoles? No. Because they both have a plan to release it this year. Um, they're just trying to wait for the dunk opportunity. But eventually one will pull the trigger with confidence or haste. Not sure which. All right. Two questions from Mike Fury. Thoughts on Minecraft Dungeons and its negative hype. LL, seriously, I haven't seen a shred of promo for this game. Do you guys think there is a reasoning behind this? And well, I saw some of the reviews and apparently it's not very good, which sucks. I was actually looking forward to this game. Uh, my friends and I were always teasing one of my good pals, Brian, about how he was going to play the game. He's like, no, I'm not playing this shit. I don't, I'm not interested. But you know, we were like, you like Diablo. You're going to play this. And uh, oh, looks like he got his wish. He won't have to play it. <clears throat> so I think that's why. I think they, they knew the game wasn't as good as they had hoped. Anyway, number two, as a small channel... How do I find other creators looking to collab? Currently looking for a second and third for my podcast and just generally having trouble finding other creators my size. Currently at 230 subs. Any info y'all could give would be appreciated. Uh, good question. Always like to try and help out with creators as much as possible. I have like a whole tier on my Patreon dedicated to it. Um, yeah, when it comes to a podcast it's all about schedules like the reason Carrick and I do a podcast is not only because we like each other like I have plenty of friends I really like that I could also bring on the show but also our schedules match up well and people like our chemistry which is great um sometimes you can't have all of that uh so yeah it's all about schedules to me um I definitely have had like pretty big shoot for the moon podcast ideas as well where uh you know I get like a bunch of different uh, YouTubers in that that are, are pretty popular um that I feel like are kind of like-minded and, and, and grow something really big. Uh, but it's just about schedules, why that hasn't happened. So, uh, what you should do is look for people who they don't have to be like-minded by the way. Um, and I don't want to say like when I had that show in production, if you will, that it was because they were like-minded that I picked them. But I'm just saying you, you want people who you're friends with is, is more so what I was getting at. Uh, I picked loan when I, I was at, I was at a pretty high subscriber count and loan was at 1000 subs. And I said, hey, man, you want to do a podcast? Like, I reached out to him. And look at Lone now. Not like I built him up, right? He always gives me credit. But I'm just saying, like, you know, from the guy who had 1,000 subs and a tiny YouTube channel to the guy now who is community manager at Bethesda, Australia, and 
and has a ton of followers on Twitter and has a successful channel. You know, the guy deserves nothing less. But I'm just saying, like, don't base it off what they are now. Base it off what they can become. And when I saw Lowen, I was like, this guy's smart. This guy is legitimately smart. He's got good energy. I love the Australian thing. You know, there's diversity there that you kind of look for. Um, so look for people who can match your schedule and who you like. I know that sounds easy, uh, but for me, you know, there's a reason why we haven't gotten a third host on. It's hard to get people to match up with our schedules, you know, <clears throat> or people don't want to commit because podcasts, they, you know, it's, it's easy in concept to sit back, have the notes in front of you for the most part and talk for two hours. It's not hard to do. It's hard getting everyone to commit to it and say every week, I'm going to sit down for two hours in my chair when I could be doing X, Y, Z, and I'm going to talk about this and, and consistently do it even when numbers dip, right? Like we can bring up my numbers here for the ham radio podcast. And we had a dip back about a month and a half ago where we talked about the last of us part two being delayed. We only had 4,000 listeners before that we had how game trailers are made featuring gauge. One of my favorite shows we've done, which was kind of sad. And we had 3.6 K listeners on that. And that was one of our best interviews. It was one of our best shows, a really fun time there. So yeah, like after that, 16k with juice head and we've been in that 8k range ever since on youtube and that doesn't account for mobile numbers so you know you you have your highs and lows just go for it and 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 stick with it and when you pick those hosts make sure they're people that you like that you can get along with that shouldn't be too hard to find all right holzer 19 writes in again with the reported problems between Ravensoft and Sledgehammer and then COD 2020 being dumped on the Treyarch, there seems to be a lot that could go wrong. Crunch being a general dumpster fire, etc. What would you guys think about them taking 2020 off and releasing multiplayer for MW2 Remastered? No problem with me. I think Call of Duty would really benefit from the same thing that Assassin's Creed did. Uh, because I definitely don't think I would have the desire for Valhalla or the de desire for Odyssey that I had if there weren't breaks. I genuinely know for a fact I wouldn't because you have time to miss it. And and when you return to it, you're able to more clearly see what's worth appreciating with that franchise. I'm sure if Call of Duty was gone for a year, A, it would feel weird, and B, I would come back and go, you know, they do a lot of things better here than I, I gave them credit for. But because it's such a fast-moving industry and they're constantly trying to churn shit out, you know what? Tough shit. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. They also have Warzone. So if they released those two and they kept updating Warzone, I think they'd be fine. Activision could literally not release anything for years and years and years and be fine. All right. Next set of questions comes from Vault 101 guy. <clears throat> what is your favorite video game of all time? You guys should know this. Knights of the Old Republic. I say it all the time. Good question though. Do you think COD Warzone will last much longer after the new COD is released this year? Well, based off what we read earlier, that they're putting updates for Cold War items in there, seemingly that they're going to attach it to the next Call of Duty game, probably with maps, weapons, and so on and so forth. I think that it will last because it's going to be directly connected to every Call of Duty for the foreseeable future. And last question from Vault 101 is, what is a game that you enjoy that no one else seems to like? <laughs> Uh, Mega Man X Command Missions definitely one that comes to mind. Not because people don't like it. It's actually a pretty well-reviewed game. It's that no one fucking knows about it. And I think that's the biggest shame of all. Uh, for those who don't know, Mega Man X Command Mission is a, uh, turn-taking RPG in the Mega Man franchise. Uh, and you get characters like X-Zero, Axel, uh, Spider, Massimo. Uh, you just get, like, a large range of 
awesome Mega Man characters, extended exposure to them, like a decent story, a really cool art style, fun combat. Like, what an amazing game. Uh, same thing could go for Death Row. I know this doesn't directly in answer your question that no one likes it, but no one fucking talks about it that I'm convinced no one likes it enough. Death Row is a game I've played on my channel. Uh, it's a fighting game with sports elements. So you're in this arena. There's a ring. Uh, there's a ring in the middle that you have to grab and throw around to your teammates, and you you have to toss it through this portal. Um, there's a portal on each side representing each team. And so while that's all happening, you're passing, you're doing one timers and stuff. You're also fighting each other, and like you can curse each other out. It's just such a raunchy game. It's by Ubisoft. What an incredible game, though. There's like a career mode where you can make your own team. You can sign your own prospects. Just, oh, it would do so well nowadays. All right. Johnny EC writes in, did the $40 surprise you for Mafia 1 considering it's being built from the ground up or should that be the standard for all remakes, remasters, etc.? Yeah, yeah, I was a little surprised. AC Denton wrote afterwards that not sure why anyone should be surprised. Well, I think the reason for that is because it's built from the ground up. They're they're making brand new assets for the game, and that type of stuff costs money. That Not everything just transfers over in development. The price of a game is based off the budget it's created with, or or within, like, if, if $60 is the max they can go, which it currently is, if they use a large budget, they're absolutely selling it at $60 a pop. If they go 70, they're going to kill their chances, right? So it's, it's a powers by number thing. Um, but I was surprised. Yeah, Mafia 1 is a from the ground up remake. And so I thought in my head, $60, maybe it's not as big of a game as I expected. Maybe it's as not as long of a game as I expected. Those all probably play into a factor with the price tag. But as far as I'm concerned, fair price, no complaints there. Was a bit surprised though. I was more shocked though that they were charging $30 for Mafia 2 and three definitive edition because mafia three has way more content and is way more recent than mafia two mafia two may be a better game in my opinion but mafia three is more recent so why are they both the same price at 30 dollars if you're buying them separately that to me makes zero sense i feel like mafia two should be 20 dollars and mafia three should be 30 that's just my take though plus mafia three has a ton more dlc just makes more sense uh holzer wants more so, I picked up Dragon Age Inquisition for $5. Have I made a terrible mistake? Uh, you know, here's the thing, right? People love to toss the cheap price tag in, in folks' faces who just endlessly meh a game to death like I have with Dragon Age Inquisition. But here's the thing, right? It's your time. You do with it what you want, okay? Because if for you, you want to spend 50 hours on something you paid $5 for, which is a great deal, but 50 hours of like generic MMO like quests with great writing for the most part and some interesting character interactions and like a cool power fantasy at times, then yeah, it's not a bad $5. It's five bucks, man. The way I translate those types of costs is like you avoided spending money on the, 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 the dollar menu at McDonald's. Like, you know, it, you, you can look at it that way and say, wow. So instead of getting a meal, I bought a $50 game or 50 hour game. And so I don't think you're going to hate it. I like the combat a lot in Inquisition. Uh, $5, it makes it easy to put down, though. So if you really don't like something or you find it boring, um, I think it's a little easier to put down because you didn't put all that money into it. Sometimes I've had games I've spent $60 on that I'm not enjoying uh, that I still see all the way through. I think a good example is Tales of uh, Zestaria. Oh, my God. 
that game, it's better if you've played Berseria first, but Berseria came out after Zestiria. So when you played Zestiria, you're like, oh, this is so boring. It's so, it's so generic. It's so like not interesting, at least from my perspective. Uh, but I saw it through because my money was on the line, right? Like you just want to see if it ends up being worth it. All right. Just Lee Martin writes in, number one, how do you think a Horizon sequel or prequel or whatever they decide to do will develop into a better game? What kind of things do they need to add to work on or work on? Sorry. Um, so they added this new comic recently that shows a little bit of a new machine that will likely be in Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Um, what do they need to add? I think more interesting side characters was probably the biggest weakness of this game, uh, the original game, I should say, as I look back on it, because I remember Aloy, and that's really, like, all I remember from that game. I remember Aloy being interesting. I remember the world space being super interesting. The combat was great, you know, the different types of arrows you could use and the mobility of it, and it really forced you to gear in. I liked that a lot about the game, but when it came to... You know, the, the, the exploration where you were going to places and just clearing them out, I'd like more interesting world activities. I felt it fell into that checklist a little bit. <clears throat> and I know a lot of people like to crank on the fact that I've been using checklist more and more as a point of critique. I don't use it to say something's bad. It's familiar. And you can even do a checklist in a way with whole unique mechanics. Like, that's not a bad thing, but it's that companies see other people doing things and they don't put thought into it. And to me, that's been irking me more now than usual. It's like, I'm starting to see more and more that these companies are not trying to innovate, but they're looking at other games and copying what they're doing. That's not making something, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a world space you're playing in at that point. And so I would like to see them innovate in that front, but more than anything, the characters. Number two, if you had to live in a game world, what would it be? I feel like we've answered this twice now. I'm going to go with Pokemon this time around. I said Star Wars originally because you could just pick a planet and quietly live there, but I'm going to go with Pokemon this time. Just, you know, spending more time with my dogs lately has made me think of that. Number three, what's a book or TV series slash film that needs to have a video game? Um, I've been reading a book <clears throat> lately. Uh, let me look behind me. Of course, I have a knee brace laying on top of it, so I can't see the fucking title. Uh, it's about George Washington and his spy ring that he had during uh, the war. And I thought to myself, it'd be really interesting to have like a, a game based about around a spy ring or uh, a spy organization, even if it's that far back then. I think that type of stuff would be really cool. So I wouldn't mind this book being created into some type of game, even if it's like an adventure game or like just choices. That'd be really neat. All right. <clears throat> Benjam writes in, what game have you beat the most amount of times? KOTOR, for sure. I have beat Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I, I want to say like at least 30 times. I just, as a kid, I ran through it a lot. Now I do it about once a year. Uh, I did it earlier this year for my 2020 review. So I already have my playthrough done for that. Uh, I don't think I played it last year, but the year before I did just, yeah, man, like I go back to that game and play it once a year and I'm not 30. So <laughs> once I'm 30, I'll know at least the bare minimum is 30. <laughs> like I've been playing the game since I'm one. What is the game you like but has terrible controls? I almost said questions. Um, great question, Brody. I want to say Red Dead Redemption 2. That game had terrible controls. Just felt sluggish. Carrick said a bag of vinegar-soaked dicks, and that's probably one of the strangest definitions for a, a control scheme I've ever heard. But I still like Red Dead a lot. It was my game of the year in 2018. 
Still highly recommended. It's on Game Pass now. Give it a look if you haven't. <clears throat> All right. Empty and Made writes in, I've been playing Smite since beta and was curious how many hours you've played. I'm not really sure, but it's... Oh, I'm sorry. How many hours I've played? I'm not really sure, but it's over 1K. So is Skyrim for me. My question is, what game do you think you've put the most hours into? <clears throat> you know, this is something that... This is a question that upsets me. I don't mean to make you feel bad, but it's because there are... like I wonder what that's like. I have games like Smite where absolutely... I've played since it's beta too. And if you combine all the hours across PC, Xbox, and the PS4, I definitely have around 1,000 hours for sure. But it's not all grouped up in one area. And I just see these people who log these insane hours. Guys, I have friends who beat Persona 5 Royal in a fucking week. A week. A 100-hour game. I'm like, where does this A fucking time come from? That baffles me. I don't say that in a dick way. Like, it just, it blows my motherfucking mind. And, like, I, I try to grind out these games, man. Like, they're, like when I was playing Persona 5 Royal, I think it was w when we announced the spoiler cast for Collins Last Stand. I think it was on, like, May 6th. I was like, no life mode engaged. I was at 60 hours, and I finished the game at 130. But that was still, I beat the game on, like, the 16th. So I guess, yeah, in 10 days, I put like 70 hours in. So that's, you can average about seven hours a day. That's not too bad, but like, how do you beat that game in a week? I just, yeah. So when I hear people talk about their game hours, I get really self-conscious because I try to play games a ton and I really do. And I don't do it out of obligation. I don't want it to come across that way. But I hear some of these insane hours from my viewers and I look at it and go like, oh my God. Like I definitely have viewers who have, probably like eight times my hour count in fallout 4 like i when once again when you go across all platforms xbox pc ps4 i've probably got like 300 or so hours no about like 300 400 hours in fallout 4 but a lot of my hours are spent working with the games so that time where i'm spending hours and hours editing could be that game time so i really have like thousands of hours with like various experiences but not actually sitting down and playing them i'm usually like working with them in different ways in answer to your question, definitely Smite is one of the most played games ever for me. Uh, another is KOTOR, just because of the replay count, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm trying to think of other games that I've I've replayed a lot or gone to a lot. Hmm. Let's see here. Thinking back. Thinking real hard. What's a game that Maddie has replayed a ton? A Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah, that's one for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, it was interesting is a lot of games I've replayed aren't super long. Like I've replayed mafia at least three times mafia two. Sorry. I played that at least three times, but it's like a 10 hour story. So that's 30 hours. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, it's a little bit longer than that. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's longer than that, but I'm saying it, it's still not like nearly as much. You, you could say I beat it three times. What? But it's not that long. So, um, Skyrim is a game. Another, I put, I put a ton of hours into, I know my 360 save file was 300 and five hours so i have a lot of hours on that uh without accounting for pc and ps4 and switch uh and modding and videos so yeah there games like skyrim and smite for me fallout uh persona persona 5 yeah persona 5 i've i've played since 2017 and then 
I've played about 200, almost 300 hours of Persona in the last three years. So that's pretty cool. All right, moving on. Brown Ninja 97 says, since you've reviewed Blades recently, what mobile games do you suggest? The only ones I've received, uh, I've recently liked so far is Top Drives. I don't play a lot of mobile games. Um, I played, let me bring it up on my phone here, Vanguard Zero. Give that a look if you like card games. It's uh, it's pretty fair. Sorry, my voice is disappearing now. This is what happens. I talk up a storm. I don't <sighs> breathe, and uh, I pay the price for it afterwards. This is why I'm scared about doing a voice acting career. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look into Vanguard Zero. Um, it's it's fair from what I've experienced, and it's fun. But I'm waiting for the Switch version, which apparently is coming out, I think, this year or next year. Sad Boy says, how badly do you think the current pandemic uh, will be for the next few, year, few years of video game development? From what I've heard, it's not really the development that's being impacted. It's the physical production of the games. Don't get me wrong, being in the same building definitely helps with making the game and having it happen a little quicker. Like, instead of giving someone a phone call or hopping in a Discord call, you can literally walk around that cubicle and just be like, hey, dude, how's X, Y, and Z going? Uh, that'll have a, a substantial impact, of course, uh, and it won't be as quick as being in the building, but I think people are still able to work remotely given the digital nature. I think it's also the new, new developments of games, like brand new IPs where... You, you can't gather everyone into a conference room and be like, okay, here's what we're doing right now. Let's take a look at, you know, what we've done so far and where we want to go and have a whole presentation to get like a hundred man studio into that room. Like, how do you do that online? Pardon me. So that's tough. GW says, what was it like on your game design course? I remember you've done something like that, unless I'm misremembering and it was some media course. So I've never done game design course. Uh, you didn't mishear me because I said I've done game development to some minor extent. Um, I did modeling. I did modeling for a game on Unity that uh, my friends and I were far too ambitious and did not understand the scope of game development uh, in our early teens. I think I was like 15 at the time. Uh, we were very convinced we were going to make like this huge open world rpg called uh c28 and uh we have like a whole interview from it on my channel it's kind of funny uh but yeah that was a that was a game i did modeling for so i didn't do it take a course for it but still you're not wrong there uh one majora writes in what is your preferred ending for fallout new vegas which is ncr legion house independent and why I always liked going with the house because I felt like he was the most neutral and uh, kind of kept everything in check. I felt like that if I were in the shoes of my player, right? Like that's what you got to do with these RPGs. If I were in the shoes of my player, you're not going with the Legion. They're a bunch of freaking savages. The NCR isn't a bad choice, but they still have that takeover mentality. I kind of like just the idea of house saying we're going to, you know, preserve the strip we're going to build out our business. We're going to help, you know, rebuild what's happening in the wasteland of the Mojave. And these two can just figure out their differences, right? Like I just, that's how I would go about it. So that's the choice I'd make. More questions from questions from Brown Ninja 97. You mentioned a few weeks back that you were playing Trails of Cold Steel. I imagine you are crazy busy, so I don't expect you to have finished it. But are you still liking it? Which girl is best girl and why is it Laura? <laughs> see i'm weird about best girl questions because my definition of best girl is who's the most interesting as a character and i guess you guys can tell through that how analytical i am about is that a, is that the right word 
how much I analyze games because like, I don't even look at it like, Ooh, who would I date? Like I have a girlfriend. So that's also a big part of it. I don't really look at these like anime chicks and go like, Oh man, can I date them? Like, I don't really, I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, I don't say that in a derogatory way, by the way, I don't want anyone to think I'm being a snobby asshole. I just, I don't really approach my, my JRPGs that way. I don't, think they handle romance or any game handles romance we've talked about that before sex in games romance it's it's weird i think persona did a good job and and i haven't experienced the trails of cold steel romance yet but i think persona did a good job of it just being like a relationship and about the people not about like the things they do because they're dating like god gag me uh oh god that's actually a horrible choice of words for the situation Oh boy, you guys hopefully know what that term means outside of the context of video game romance. Uh, but Trails of Cold Steel is great still, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm not as invested as I was, but I have to get back into the role with thing or back in the swing of things. So that's why uh, I'm not as super invested. I'm remembering things again. I'm only at the beginning of chapter three. Um, but I only reason I might not keep going is like, do I need to do another JRPG? This is another long one, right? Like I already did one for Persona. I did Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Like I've done so many. Hold on. I think I have my notebook here of games I've beat so far. Yeah, I did Kakarot. I did Wastelanders. I did Seven Remake. I did Persona 5 Royal. Now I'm hopping back into Trails of Cold Steel. I'm like, you know, do I really need to play another JRPG at this point? They're just so long. They're great. They're probably my favorite genre now. Uh, but do I need another one? I think I should just let myself breathe. Maybe I'll just play like Mega Man X8 on the X Legacy Collection. Great game. Uh, oh, and in answer to your question, at least the most interesting girl in the game to me is... Let's see. There's Laura. There's Fee. There's Emma. There's Elisa. I think Elisa is kind of interesting just because I was curious about her backstory with uh, her last name. And you find out that by Chapter 2 and... Then you meet her mom, and I'm, I'm very interested in, like, her familial aspect, like, her familial relationships. Number three from Brown Ninja 97 Embrace your group, uh, which is THQ Nordic and Deep Silver, recently announced they have 118 games in development, with 69 of them being unannounced. Are there any games in their uh, Mountain of Sleeping Giant IPs that you would like to see return? For me, it has to be Time Splitters. That game was my childhood. It ruined my childhood. My brother would destroy me in that game. And in destruction, he fractured the essence that defined me as a man. <laughs> I will be incomplete until I am able to reenact reenact my, uh, or I'm sorry, enact my revenge. Sorry, I, I butchered your, your vengeance there. Um, yeah, Time Splitters is one I want to get. I was looking for the complete inbox copies on eBay recently because uh, I wanted to play Time Splitters. But that's definitely coming back. That's pretty much all but confirmed. For me, it's Kingdoms of Amalur. I love Kingdoms of Amalur. When I saw them acquire the rights to that, along with the MMO, I am really, really looking to see what they do with that franchise. I thought it was super underrated, uh, or I should say under-discussed. It was rated very well. It just didn't make enough money given the amount of resources poured into it. Ross writes in with a couple of questions. Number one, do either of you guys have a favorite comedian? I don't really watch comedy stuff, so I apologize. I don't have an answer for this. Uh, two, did you enjoy the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy? Another question I'm going to struggle to answer. The last time I saw Planet of the Apes was like 2010. It was the one where like the apes had guns and they were fighting back against the humans. So you tell me. You tell me. I didn't think it was a bad movie. 
Three, how do you guys feel about Robert Pattinson being the new Batman? Dude, I don't even care about these Batman switches anymore. Like, these these fucking people switch roles so goddamn much, just as long as the movie's good and the character performance is believable and they don't sound like a clown going, I'm the Batman. Then You know what? I, I don't care. So, yeah, I don't mean to be dismissive, but just I'm so over the, the, the castings and, and analyzing the castings. I think the only time I loved, 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 loved the casting was Benedict Cumberbatch as, uh, as a Doctor Strange. That was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. What a fit. And there's obviously, like, the MCU did an excellent job casting in general. But I'm just, like, over casting. Like, I care about the movie. It's the same thing with, like, console specs and hardware. Like, I care to an extent. But then eventually I'm like, just give me the thing. Just give me the thing and I'll, I'll figure it out then. One last sip of water before we wrap up our last two questions. Ah, there we go. Nice and fresh for Paco Luigi. All right. Nothing comes to mind, so let's do some improv. Apologies if distasteful. Pretend I've suckered you into my sleazy life coach self-help seminar. What do I say to you to get you to believe in my pyramid scheme? You can choose the subject. What kind of question is this? What? Hold on. I believe I just talked about a pyramid scheme the other day. I just have to verify my definition of this. Let's see here. A form of investment, legal in the U.S. and elsewhere, in which each paying participant recruits two further participants with returns being given to the early participants using money contributed to the later ones. Oh, Oh, <laughs> okay. I think I'm familiar with this before because I've seen companies built off of it in the past where you like, you know when they are. So you're a sleazy life coach, self-help seminar. What have you said to me to get me to believe in your pyramid scheme? Uh, this, this business model can lead to the cure of depression. I think that would be enough for me to go, okay, you got my ear. Let's see what you've got. But at the same point, I'm just like very dismissive with that type of stuff pretty quickly where uh, if you were just like, Hey man, I can really help you out. I'd be like, I'm good, bro. Thank you. Big bad wolf hish writes in. Hi, Maddie. I hope all is well. I'm going to hit you with a sci-fi question. If you went to a parallel universe and met yourself, how would you act and how would you end him? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the end him part because I absolutely would challenge my other self to a fight. Like, hands down. Not a fight to the death, but I would show him I am the superior version of myself. I would absolutely fight me. And I would fuck myself up. <laughs> I would absolutely go at it I, I because you know here's the thing man like if if you meet parallel you don't you want to be the better one so you have you can make all the calls for 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 the 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 canon you like you want to be canon maddie what better way to celebrate that than to fight so that's what i do i challenge him to a fist fight after that i'd see let's see parallel me i'd ask him what the secrets are to an absolutely booming super successful uh youtube channel is um, and it's not because mine's unsuccessful, but because mine, like it's getting there, but like, what are the secrets? What are the tools of the trade? What have you done? Um, what works? What doesn't, you know, just, just answer all these questions ahead of time. Let's see what else would other me know? Uh, uh how'd you become a hockey star? Right. <laughs> all that stuff. You know, what, what was it like having a girlfriend in high school? <laughs> that type of shit. All right. 
That was the last question for this week's Ham Radio podcast. Uh, I appreciate all of you who wrote in. Once again, this was our longest section of the show, so I appreciate you guys making uh, these episodes possible. Um, As always, we are available on Patreon for early access, so you guys can hop in there. Uh, You can get the show ahead of time on the audio. Um, You can also write in questions at the $3 level through the discord like we just read today and it's a really good time so thank you guys so much for listening tuning in hopefully i did a good job by myself and i will talk to you guys hopefully with carrick in next week's ham radio podcast stay sexy stay active i love you all peace Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.